Welcome to Strung Out, the podcast that looks at life through the lens of an artist. Your host is the artist, writer, and musician, Martin Lawrence McCormack. Now here's Marty. Hey, great to have you with us. And I have my friend, Paul Schneider, back here. Yes, I do have friends. And Paul Schneider is... I like to call him a musicologist because he knows a lot about music, seeing bands, great bands. And when he was a lad out in California, he was a writer, uh, did a lot of reviews of various bands. He has that enthusiasm of a music fan, but he also has the critical eye of a journalist. Paul, great to have you here. Because he sweated in those clubs on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood in his college years, waiting for 10,000 maniacs to finally get on stage at Club Lingerie for their first gig in L.A. when Natalie Merchant had her hair down below her ass and swung it around and almost poked out the eye of her guitarist that night. How big were those clubs? How many people? They were not big. 200? Wow. 200 maybe? Yeah, Club Lingerie. Club Lingerie was great. Saw Katie Seagal at Club Lingerie. Great, great, she did a great jazz that night. The, the Club Lingerie and the Whiskey and the Roxy was big. The Roxy was probably Whiskey Go Go. Whiskey right? Go Go, yeah. And the Roxy was Roxy was bigger, but like the Starwood and the Troubadour and Madame Wong's West and. Club Lingerie and, uh, God, what was the other one? I don't know, but, oh, my God, I'm going to cry. These were small clubs, 200. 200 capacity, maybe. Back, back in the day of vinyl? During the New Wave movement, during the New Wave era of the 80s, when you could see orchestral maneuvers in the dark at the Whiskey A Go-Go for five bucks, when you could see Haircut 100, Marty, when you could see Haircut 100 for seven bucks at the Whiskey. You know, or Oingo Boingo or whoever it was, or the, uh, not the specials. I didn't see the specials. The English Beat. When R.E.M. opened up for the English Beat at Wolf and Ruth Miller's Country Club in Northridge, California that one time. Were those guys coming in just to uh, kiss the ring of the record executives or were they on tour at the time? Yes to both. Yes to both. I think the record executives wanted to see them. And yes, they were on tour. When REM opened up for the uh, for the English beat that night, they had just put out their first EP, Gardening at Night. And they didn't have a lot of songs. And actually, the promoter put them between two ska bands. They put them between the Untouchables and REM and the English beat. So it didn't work out very well for Michael Stipe that night. It was like when it was like when Prince was the middle act between George Thorogood and the Delaware Destroyers. And the Rolling Stones at the Memorial Coliseum. Prince came out. He was wearing only the thong with the big long coat. And in 10 minutes, he got booed off stage because everyone was there to see George Thorogood and everyone was there to see the Stones. Nobody wanted to see the little five foot three inch freak from Minneapolis do what he was doing, which was unfortunate. But when you think about it, that. But those are those. Diamond in the Rough Moments. Diamond in the Rough Moments, yeah. Where you go, I saw Prince get booed off stage. I saw R.E.M. completely bomb because the promoter mispromoted the show. I saw R.E.M. at the Aragon Ballroom here in Chicago. I'd have to say probably not the right venue for those guys. Really? At, at the time, yeah. I just, I came away from that feeling like, 
right band, wrong room to catch a gig. Partly because the Aragon itself was just, it's such a beautiful, I don't know what it's like now, but there's a lot of Mexican traveling bands from Mexico that come through. But it was just, it was an old lady that acoustically was made for a different era. And so there you had the round peg in the square hole. Plus, dynamically, they didn't move me. When you were there in California, did certain bands exude greater hunger? I think those Australian, New Zealand bands have a greater hunger to them. I think Split Ends had a tremendous hunger to them. They were just, those Finn brothers, they just, every single night, they just wanted it more than anybody else. Not even Australia. I think bands from across the pond, when they come to America, I think they understand that they're in America. Like the alarm, a big country. It didn't last very long, but man, those concerts were great. And in fact, I saw the alarm three summers ago at the Skokie Fest. And still great. Mike was still great. Playing with a bunch of different guys now. Still great, though. They still sounded great. Yeah, I think when those bands come across the Atlantic Ocean to the United States, I think there's something that sort of transforms them and makes them want to be. It's like when the Beatles said, when we came to America, oh my God, now we got America. There's no telling. You bring up a, a point when you're talking about the alarm playing at Skokie Fest. How many people were there that knew? Oh, yeah, they're 300, 400. Okay. Yeah, people knew who they were. Let me ask you. Because just, they were all my age. Okay. And our age. They right. all grew up in the 80s. And they're like, oh my God, the alarm is here. <laughs> Let's go see the alarm again. Yeah. What do you think when you have a band like In Excess and the lead singer dies? Yeah. Does that band continue along? Or Queen losing Freddie Mercury? I'm sure you can give me a half dozen other examples. You mean like when Journey kicks Steve Perry out of the band? That kind of a thing? Yeah, kicking somebody out of the band works, but the, the roster really, changes. Yeah. Let's just go back to, let's just say, hypothetically, the Beatles were still playing, John Lennon dies. Right. Would you have said to Paul, keep it going? I'm a snob. <laughs> I'm a snob. Michael Hutchins dies, I don't want anything to do with them anymore. That's just me. Look, it's up to the band, right? Roger Taylor and Brian May think that Adam Lambert is the greatest thing since sliced cheese. Fine. It's their band. I'm not going to go see them because it's not Freddie Mercury. I saw Queen live. Freddie was it, man. Freddie was it. Freddie was... We talked about in the last podcast about performers. And entertainers and real, just hardcore, just performing with every molecule they have in their body. And that was Freddie Mercury. I'm sure Adam Lambert's a great singer. Let me ask you this. Would you go see them if they changed their name to King? <laughs> no, because King was a band in the 80s and they weren't any good. Okay. Um, well, no, you know what I'm no, saying. No, if, I would, if Brian, I, I would not. No. Okay. So, I would not. So there's just something once 
Yeah. It's like George Harrison said, the Beatles will never get back together as long as John Lennon remains dead. It's that sort of thing. I don't know. Did NXS go on without Michael Hodgins? I don't know. I think they tried to. Yeah. I think they even tried to do like a, a television show in which they auditioned people to replace Michael. It was... Sounds like a disaster. Yeah. It was, it was yeah. a disastrous moment. But I always find it fascinating when there are bands that don't have the idea of when to call it quits as mm -hmm. a band. Mm -hmm. And you see them all the time on public television. Yeah. And it's one of my biggest pet peeves because yeah. it's a group of which you say maybe one person is the original member of that right. band. Everybody else is under 30. Right. And they're performing these hits to a bunch of octogenarians and these hits are written half a century ago. Yeah. Why are the Buckinghams still playing? Yeah. Should the Buckinghams exist in this reality? There is a, there is a demographic that lives and dies by the Buckinghams. Here, I'll give you another example. Sticks. Dennis DeYoung left the band and everyone thought Sticks was never going to be the same again. I'm here to tell you, Sticks is better now than they ever were with Dennis DeYoung. Because the guy who replaced Dennis DeYoung sings just as well as DeYoung does. And he's better on stage as a performer than Dennis DeYoung ever was. And his energy osmosizes into what Tommy Shaw and James Young are doing on stage. And I get that the Panazzo brothers aren't there anymore because one's got cancer and the other's dead. I get that. But for me, there's the exception to what you're talking about. The guys they have now who are playing with them are much better. Sorry, Panazos, are much better than the original lineup. But what is it about it, though, that makes it feel to somebody like weak old bread? I don't know. In the case of Sticks, I'm a Tommy Shaw fanboy. So I'll see him, except when he plays with Ted Nugent, I'll see him whatever he does. But I don't know. Again, there is a demographic there that will go see the Buckinghams, that will go see whatever was left of the monkeys. The Who. I had this conversation with this guy up in Wisconsin about The Who, and I kept saying, they're not The Who. They're the Townsend Daltrey touring band. Granted, they got Zach Starkey playing drums for them. They, they keep rotating bassists in and out. And man, if it ain't John Entwistle, it ain't the who. I'm sorry. And U2 is now doing this, doing this residency in Las Vegas now starting in September. They're doing eight nights in this new place. But Larry Mullen's not playing drums because Larry Mullen can't, can't tour anymore. He's got what Phil Collins has got. What is it about drummers that they can't, after 40 years, they can't play anymore? That's a demanding instrument. I guess so. But yeah, they're playing without Larry Mullen. They're playing with some Swedish guy that they audition that they absolutely love. So is that even you two anymore? I don't know. You know? Well, it, to me, it, it makes more sense that you should use the star's name and just say, you know, here we have The Edge and Bono and Adam Clayton giving you a residency. Yeah. And then you people know. can call it whatever they want to call it, but at least they're being, at least the perception of it is that they're... And um, maybe fans don't even know. 
Like when the Beatles went to Australia and Ringo had to stay in the hospital because he had tonsillitis. Ladies and gentlemen, Jimmy Nickel on drums. They never said that. Everyone just assumed it was Ringo. <laughs> I saw this great picture this morning of Jimmy Nickel sitting in the Melbourne airport by himself, waiting to take a plane back to England after his 10 gig thing was done. It was just a great photo. Oh my God. Great photo. Oh my God. Hopefully he got paid. But hopefully you know, he did. Yeah. He can step back and say, hey, I did a gig with the Beatles. He I can, was a Beatle. He and Pete Best can go out on the uh, We Play With The Beatles store. Maybe if you're really that hard up, that's what you do is you, <laughs> you, you bring in people and you say, be a Beatle for the day. But there are certain things where one part of me is, I'm always saying, keep going, keep producing, keep doing. Not necessarily a big band is the right thing to keep it going. I think that a band's name sometimes is not greater than the whole of the parts. Mm. That's where I stand on it. But I think we're saying there are some people that look at, and again, the Beatles is a great example. If it just turns out Ringo's getting his tonsils out, the Beatles continue, the show goes on, that kind of thing. There's that great scene of the Get Back documentary where George leaves. And what do we do now? Someone call Clapton, see if he wants to join the Beatles. Or we could be the Threedles. We, what do we do? We don't know what to do. Let's go talk to George and get him back in the Yeah, I don't think... I think if the Beatles were still going, and I think that if John said, I don't want a tour, and the other three said, okay, but we're going out on tour, I'm not sure anybody would see them. I'm not sure. Yeah, I wonder. I know, like you said, the super fans will. Yeah. They don't care. But for people that are wanting to capture that moment, that sound, mm-hmm. even with the Rolling Stones, when death comes for the band members, I think in some ways, though, if Mick Jagger died. That's just it. You're talking about the death of a lead singer versus Bill Wyman packing up and leaving. They'll plug in Daryl Jones and people will still go and they'll still get 70000 in the stadium because it's not the same thing. Probably with Charlie Watts, it's different. Because that ain't Charlie playing drums up there. That's a substantive thing. right? And yet, again, maybe the unwritten rule, Charlie was not the lead singer. Charlie was not the lead singer. So you still have the front men. If if Jagger went and then they brought in whoever. The guy who's singing for... Journey right now, right? the <laughs> Filipino dude who's singing yeah. the journey, uh, yeah. and supposedly is better than Steve Perry. Yeah, better than Steve Perry. Yeah, yeah. Then you you kind of have a problem. You know, I think sure. there's certain times when you just have to hang it up, and then maybe you become Keith Richards and the expensive winos. Yeah, the expensive <laughs> winos. Right. You, you form a group. Yeah, you go off and you collaborate with somebody else because you still got the jag to do it. And then well, that's one of the reasons why I always like those amalgamation groups like the Traveling Wilburys. Yeah. The yeah. idea of if we put together a dream team of right. artists, in some ways they're a, a nice escape valve for the what if you somebody dies in one of these super groups. Um, as already we've lost a, three guys out of the Traveling Wilburys. Yeah. Is that uh, three or four? I'm trying to think. George is dead. Roy is dead. And... Bob Dylan, Tom Petty. 
Tom Petty died. All died, yeah. So that's, so it's just. So they're down to Jeff Lynn. Jeff Lynn and Dylan. And Bob Dylan and Jim Keltner. <laughs> yeah. So it's time to form a new band. Yeah. Time to get ELO back together. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody call Bev Bevan. What's he doing? I think getting back to your experience in California, when you saw these bands coming through, were these bands still wet behind the ears? These super groups? Were they super groups in waiting or were they more already established, already polished? You brought up a couple great Lulus with Prince and R.E.M. and bands like that. Well, it's hard to say because when I saw them, I was wet behind the ears also. I was a 21-year-old college student getting drunk every night. Yeah. They sure seemed polished at the time. Like 10,000 Maniacs, they sure seemed polished. You know, they were professional. They were on stage. They were doing it. I'm sure Natalie Merchant, if she was sitting in this room, she would say, oh, you're full of it. We were terrible. We didn't know what we were doing. What do you think of somebody like Natalie Merchant or the Alabama Shakes, the lead singer of that group? Oh, she's great. It seems like once they have a band going for a while, then all of a sudden it's goodbye band. Let's do a solo. Yeah. What, yeah, what happened there? Why? Did, what? There, did, there, did Natalie's ego get too big? I just wonder what that is all about. I don't know. Because that's the antithesis of somebody dying in your band. Is there somebody deciding to leave the band because they think they're better than the band itself? It's it's throwing that's it weird. on its head. Yeah, that's that. On the surface of it, it seems like an ego trip. It seems Natalie knew that she was the the star of the show in 10,000 Maniacs even though she couldn't do anything without them. And maybe she just got too big for her britches and just decided, you know what? Or maybe someone talked to her. Maybe some record executive got into her head and said, you'd be better off being Natalie Merchant and leaving these guys behind. It seems to me that with a lot of... Didn't the, that happen with Janis Joplin? Janis Joplin. Big the Holding uh, Bjork. Bjork. Right, with right, the sugar with cubes. The sugar cubes, yeah. yeah. So... Is it a, something about female performers being more marketable or, or just... Boy, oh boy, I don't want to rip into females or get gender here. No, um, we don't want that to happen. I don't I, know. It's, just, a, it's just an open question. I'm trying to think of the equivalent among men that do it, and I'm sure it's done too, where a guy will just go off and do a solo performance. Jagger tried. Yeah, I can't see that working with Jagger and... He tried. Mm -hmm. He put out a couple solo albums. I don't think. I think Keith Richards had better luck with that than Jagger did. Because yeah. it, it gave Keith uh, an opportunity to get underneath from the shadow of Mick Jagger. He said with a question mark. That he was great in the expensive winos. That first album was just oh my god. Where has Keith been hiding this stuff? I think it's important when you have a band, yeah, like that, to encourage. People to do their own thing. After a while, it's fun. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, again, the Beatles, they did it because they were forced to do it by the circumstances mm -hmm. that uh, they decided they weren't going to be a band anymore. But all of a sudden now you got these two writers coming up with totally different kinds of styles of writing and love it or hate it. And don't forget George. There was the third guy the who third put out guy. All Things Must Pass, which yes. is better than anything else put out. And now everyone is like, Jesus, why didn't they let him 
Why didn't the Beatles record any of these songs? The Beatles recorded some of them. They did some demos and they were great. But wow. Obviously, George was the gooseberry when it came to the writing setup, which is always an unfortunate thing. Hey, listen, we're going to take a little break here. We are talking music with Paul Schneider, musicologist, journalist, and you are on Strung Out. This podcast wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the gifts of support we receive from listeners like you. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not send in your gift of love? Go to martinmccormack.com and click on the donate button. Just a touch would mean so much. Would it kill you to try? You do try. You do try. And I got Paul Schneider in the studio here. We're talking about music, bands, groups, egos, personalities. 
this crept across my mind. I was able to hold it during the whole last 20 minutes we were talking. Let it out, Marty. Let, Let it, it out. out. Spit it out. You referenced Ted Nugent. And Ted Nugent recently <laughs> got yeah. canceled down in Alabama. Alabama. Wow. Birmingham, Alabama, wow. because the people said he is racist and a jerk, for lack of a better term. What do you think about musicians that get overly political? I think they're out of their lane. I think that's not where that's not what they're that's not where they're getting paid for. Kid Rock visiting Donald Trump. Ted Nugent, I don't know if he's a racist or not. I know he's a jerk. I don't know if he's racist or not. I, there's no place for it. I I know we keep referencing the Beatles, but what what are you going to do? They're the gold standard. People kept asking them about Vietnam in 1966 when they went on their final tour, and they're like, "We don't know. We're in England. England's not involved in Vietnam. Don't ask me." And then John had to write Revolution get it out of his system. And then ironically, John Lennon became like the biggest politico of the 1970s to the point where Richard Nixon had him followed by J. Edgar Hoover and tried to deport the guy for several years. I don't think there's a place, and sorry if this is coming off as snobbery, but I don't think there's a place for musicians to be overly political. It's not what I want from my musicians. Although Billy Bragg, who I love, is a socialist and makes no bones about it and writes great songs and covers great old socialist songs on his albums. I'll tell you, his one album that I really loved in the 80s, talking with the tax man about poetry, political, socialist, all over the place, tremendous body of work. I think there's a difference when you have somebody that writes something that's expressing their views that openly gives you the chance to think without shoving it down your throat. Good point. When Ted Nugent wrote and performed Cat Scratched Fever, nobody was thinking about his stance with the NRA and things like that. People came to have a good time. He unified people at that point. Yeah. And now... He has driven a wedge to the point where people are, they, he is radioactive because yes. of his political screed. You could even argue that John Lennon, a corner was turned when he got actively political because yeah. not everybody was going to buy into that. Nobody wanted to hear the Beatle do this. Just be the Beatle. Be John... Paul McCartney and his song, Too Many People, right? There's that line, too many people preaching practices, don't let them tell you what you want to be. Well, that was right at John, right after John started doing the political stuff. Just, I love you. Get back in your lane. <laughs> do what you do best. Stay out, of, stay out of war. I think there's a difference. Again, you talk about Billy Bragg, great performer. And uh, Neil Young, Neil Young is a guy that, when you go to a Neil Young concert, you're not going to go all of a sudden. Oh my God, what is this guy talking about? You're getting a guy that basically he's like Billy Bragg. He has his political thoughts, yeah, and he's going to talk about it. And 
you either put up with it or you don't go to his concert. Yeah. Or you wholeheartedly support it. Yeah. Very interesting when you get like a group that makes a political statement anytime. Who got into big trouble? Oh, Pink Floyd, Mm -hmm. Roger Waters, right? Oh, yeah. He started talking about Ukraine. Why? Because he can. (laughs) He's an anti-Semite, too, which kind of rubs me the wrong way. Which is sad. Yeah. Israel won't let him in the country. He wants to play in Israel. Israel says, you're not coming here. You're worse than Netanyahu. You're not coming here. We have to deal with him. We're not dealing with you. I saw that, and I was just like, now here's a guy. You think your music, maybe maybe that's where ego steps in too much, where you think everything that I'm going to say now does not have any blowback on me. You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm feeling a little hypocritical, but I'm also going to let myself off the hook. I'm going to go back to you, too. They've written some highly charged, highly political stuff. Sunday, Bloody Sunday, The Troubles, Van Diemen's Land. The difference, I think, with them is that they're writing from their own experience, though. Having grown up in Dublin and having grown up in Ireland around those times. And just... This is what we have experienced, and this is what we're going to put down on vinyl or whatever the tape is. So I'm feeling hypocritical in that way because those songs, as political as they are, though, and I'm going to just sound really simplistic here, they're couched in really great melodies. Well, again, and I think that helps. Yes, I think if... If you have a great song, God forbid it's something telling you to jump off a cliff or something. But yeah. again, a great band, uh, Boomtown Rats, Boomtown Rats, Banana Republic. Yeah. When I heard that the first time, that was the first and best song about the troubles yeah. that I've ever heard. Yeah. That, and to their credit, everything that they wrote was couched in metaphor. Oh, know? sure. Yeah. yeah. And that's. Sharing bed with history is like licking running sores. Mm-hmm. Wow. They have a great song called I Never Loved Eva Braun. That's just terrific. No. Let's take a little break because we're going to come back and, and finish. We're just talking about music, stream of consciousness here. You are listening to Strung Out. Hello, everyone. Polly Chase here from Marty Fine Art. Have you visited Marty's website lately? I encourage you to check it out. We've added a new section for greeting cards featuring eight of Marty's original artworks, including his latest painting, One-Eyed Wolf. And did you know you receive a 20% off discount when you join the email list? Sign up today at martinmccormick.com and you'll receive a code for 20% off your first order. Shop for fine art prints, t-shirts, tote bags, coffee mugs, greeting cards, and so much more. Apply your code in the shopping cart and enjoy your 20% off discount courtesy of martinmccormick.com. Thanks for listening and happy shopping!
Grandma said to folks in this world, those who live in Kansas, those who can't. Kansas wind gives your soul a world. Learn to live at a slam. Lean into your problems, take it on the chin. Nothing is harder than the Kansas wind. Grew up in a town the Kansas wind roamed. Learned that town was not my home. Left never wanting to see it again. No matter how far away I went, there always seemed to follow the Kansas wind. Someone who'd believe what happened. The only one seemed to be that lonesome wind. The only one seemed to be a Kansas wind. Grandma's words came back when hope was gone. Could hear her telling me to be strong. Lean hard into that Kansas wind. Take back all that was taken. Give the rest to. Just talking about some of these artists who end up swapping partners, and we're not talking Fleetwood Mac, but that's going to have to be. That's a great one. That's maybe we should just. That's what the hell one. we're talking about it right that's now? That's a great one. You can you figure that out? What the hell went on there? And they continue to write these great songs. Made for great albums. Yeah. My God, made for just amazing songs. It was like I was talking about before with you too. Speaking from your own personal experience, sorry if it's political, but this is what we went through <sighs> with Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks and John and Christine McVie. We're just gonna, we're just gonna open up our hearts. We're gonna be vulnerable. We're gonna bleed all over the place, and this is just what it's. This is what it's gonna be because this is what we know. Question two: Christine McVie <laughs> passed on. I'm still hurt by that. Yeah, it's really an end of an era. I feel somebody just took part of my youth and... I feel exactly the same way. You can have Stevie Nicks. <laughs> I always liked Stevie Nicks. I loved her voice. Oh, 
she was another. We were talking about women who get too big for their britches and get too big of an ego, and they go off and start doing solo stuff. Stevie Nicks. She did solo stuff that didn't really fly, I thought. She couple, had that one couple of commercials. Get to me your leather, take from me my no, lace. Leather with, and lace, yeah. You know, yeah. Whatever. And then but, she had that one with Tom Petty too. Yeah. Stop dragging my art around. But Stop. that was a good song. Or as the DJ in LA used to say, Stop driving my car around. Oh God. <laughs> anyway, but back to Christine McVie. All right. So here you have a super group that a band member dies. Yeah. Do you keep going? Do you say now we're gonna be Fleetwood Mac and yeah, we lost her. We we miss her. But here to sing her songs is Natalie Merchant. Oh, that'd be cool. You'd like that? Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. I'd be all right. Well, if Fleetwood Mac went down that road, they kicked Lindsey Buckingham out of the band. They had to replace him with Mike Campbell and somebody else. That's right? a tribute to Lindsey Buckingham. That certainly is. Who, brilliant banjo player. Is that right? Yeah. Really? My other source of musical information, my wife Annie said that he, I guess he won Banjo contest. That being said, you do hear a little bit of it on some of their cuts. Oh, sure, you know. yeah. He yeah. said that you yeah. Know. He has yeah. a very he had a very unique style. He has a very unique style plan. Can I tell my Lindsay Buckingham story? Yeah, please. When I was in high school, college, first year of college, I was working at a pharmacy in Burbank, California. And Lindsay Buckingham came into the pharmacy. But you couldn't see him because you were behind the counter. Right. <laughs> oh no. Sorry. Hey, Marty McCormick with the rim shot. And he looked like hell. He came in. His doctor had prescribed him quaaludes. And we got to talking and I said, how's it going, Lindsay? And he goes, I just got in from New York. I was working on a project and I've been awake for four straight days. Who am I to question it? He probably was. Oh, I, I'm sure. Those guys who reach that level work like dogs. And they don't come out of the studio for a week. And it, But he looked like hell. Probably a lot of cocaine. A lot of cocaine, yeah. yeah. And he looked like hell. You know, and I was talking to a friend of mine about this. The guy who owned the pharmacy was personal friends with Irving Azov, who ran Warner Brothers Records and was the... Fleetwood Mac's manager and the Eagles manager and all this other stuff. And I'm, as I'm now connecting the dots, I'm thinking, yeah, Irving Azov probably told Lindsey Buckingham, there's this doctor in Burbank who will prescribe quaaludes for you. And by the way, this is a pharmacy right next door and they'd be glad to fill it for you. He came in twice (laughs) because he used up the first batch of quaaludes and he came in for a second. Boy, he looked like hell, but... The toll that probably takes on somebody's body. Yeah, but I digress. What well, we were talking about pouring your heart out. Right. Uh, exposing yourself. Hey, we're getting divorced, but we're still in the band together. That sort of thing. Yeah. Gwen Stefani. Gwen uh, Stefani. She wrote all those breakup songs about her ex, who was, I believe, the drummer. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. that was... Because it started with you telling me that Michael Hutchins stole Bob Geldof's wife. And I said, oh, it's the old Eric Clapton, George Harrison thing with Patty Harrison. Here's one that's even weirder. Let me see if I can get this right. Bill Wyman and his son. So Bill Wyman and his son were dating a mother-daughter thing. 
But Bill Wyman married the daughter and Bill Wyman's son married the mom. Wow. Like I'm my own grandpa. Yeah, I still get blown away by that. I think I was in high school when that happened. I still get blown away by that. Wow. Talk about Christmas must be. <laughs> How weird. <laughs> and here's Bill Wyman going around with this persona of being the quiet stone, not getting in anyone's way, just standing off to the side and playing and not taking drugs or whatever. And then he goes off and does one of the most, I'm not going to judge. If he's in love, he's in love. Weird. I think well, you bring your son into it. I don't know. With music, I think there is a little bit of the weird, those kind of, it doesn't surprise me that happened because I really, I have seen artists, but yeah. that's yeah. love is love. love, um, is love so yeah. what can you say? And I'm always preaching, keep it in the family, but I never thought it not that far. Fleetwood Mac certainly did. They did. And now you have this, this gap, you you have to ask yourself, does the super group continue? That's what we started this podcast with. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. when is it right to, to just say, we're going to, we're going to break the seal or whatever you want to call it. And now we will create this thing. Boy, with Christine McVie, though, that's a tough call because she was a singer. She had the amazing voice, and she, she wrote, wrote some really wrote amazing, killer, heartbreaking songs. songs. My God. Yeah. And you brought up the hypothetical of bringing Natalie Merchant in there. Yeah, I suppose that would work. I don't know if Natalie Merchant could play piano. Someone else would have to. We didn't get Willie Nelson to open for Willie Nelson was because Jerry Garcia died, and so they brought along Willie Nelson with the Grateful Dead. Oh, really? And it's kind of like... A a, an interesting spare tire. How far is that tire going to go before you say, okay, we probably should put a real tire on this car? That's my feeling about it. I think, like catching live music, catching a band in its glory, so to speak, mm-hmm. is something that is almost sacred. When you get past that point and now you have a significant change in personnel. And I emphasize significant change in personnel. Yeah. Then it's no longer the real item. Now you're angling toward the PBS show saying Natalie Merchant and uh, 10,000 Maniacs. Nobody in that band is the 10,000 Maniacs. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've made our point on this. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And again, uh, the only exception I can think of is Styx. Styx is just so much better now without Dennis. And I think it's good for them because there was such a division when he was in the band anyway, he wanted to do Paradise Theater and he wanted to do Babe. And the other guys were just like, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. That's like the Eagles trying to go from their country yeah. rock. And uh, yeah. what's his name? Wanted to do all of rock and roll. Yeah. Glenn Fry, right? Glenn Fry, yeah. So Glenn Fry wanted to be the rocker. Yeah. And it, it just didn't. It didn't work. Didn't work. I fail. So you go out and you form another band. You go out and you form Animal Logic or you form the, the Traveling Wilburys or well, you go off and play yeah. another. Listen, we're done. I want to thank Paul Schneider, musicologist, journalist, really an avid music fan who goes in there not only with 
the artist enthusiasm, the music lover's enthusiasm, but it also has that deadline running mindset of the journalist. Thank you, Marty. You're welcome, buddy. And we're going to be doing more of these in the future. Glad to have you with us. We'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. For more information about this show or a transcript, visit martinmccormack.com. While there, sign up for our newsletter. See you next time on Strung Out. Choice, giving us that.